Hi. Welcome to our podcast, which we don't have a name for yet. That's true. I think we'll come up with one. It'll be okay. We're just two women that really like come follow me. And so I'm going to try to use the word edifying as much as I can today. And so... It's like the word of the day? Yeah. Okay. So um, I'd like to say that my experience with the Come Follow Me program has been really edifying. And I have found that reading Paul's letter to the Corinthians has started me thinking about how, as the body of Christ, we're all children of God, we all can share our strengths with each other, and I thought that if you and I had conversations about the church, and come follow me, and understanding other people's perspectives and some of the social issues, we could actually help unify the body of Christ more, and understand how that works and how we can come to know the nature of God better by studying that perspective. And probably like understand each other better and understand how we can be like, I feel like authentic is a word that comes to mind too. Like how we can not only be authentic with our interactions with people, but accept people in their authenticity and encourage them to be authentic. Well, and I think Paul specifically really starts out chapter 14 addressing that because it's talking about connecting with each other through Christ. (laughs) And if we can be more authentic with our testimonies of Christ and be more accepting of how we kind of come at those testimonies from different perspectives, we can really learn from each other. So the beginning of uh, chapter 14 talks about pursuing charity and seeking for spiritual gifts especially so that you can prophesy. And so you kind of had an impression of what you thought prophesying meant? Well, I was I was looking it up because I thought, I think we often think of prophecy when we think, I think we say that word a lot of times when we're talking about like the general church leadership, that that is, because I think when we speak of it for ourselves, we talk of inspiration or promptings or revelation, but really, in a sense, there's not a great difference between all of those things, except for maybe how many people it incorporates, but that the process really is that we're speaking through the spirit. We're learning through the spirit and we're understanding. So when I was looking through it, like um, what I wrote was it's a learning or understanding that comes from the spirit. And I wrote insight into the mysteries of God. And I think as we are, it's really like stepping outside of the logic of like our mortal bodies and being able to embrace what the Lord is trying to teach us on a higher level. And it doesn't, it's not necessarily different. It may just be expanded or more, um, help us to understand how God really is in all of the things, not just in like pieces and parts of our life. Yeah. And I think our family has reflected on the law of prophecy kind of in the context of or the gift of prophecy, kind of in the context of the gift of tongues. So we, I started using the gift of tongues as just a general gift where if you can communicate well, you have the gift of tongues. But this chapter kind of does a good job differentiating between the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy. Whereas the gift of tongues may be actually the ability to communicate in a different language. The gift of prophecy points out that that's really the most important thing is that a meaning and that your testimony of Christ is edifying to somebody else and that they can understand that and that that's conveyed. And whether 
when you just testify of Christ in and of itself, that's prophecy. When they talk about prophetesses in the Bible, they were women that testified of Christ. And so when we can actually testify of Christ and convey a meaning and connect with somebody else, for me, that's the gift of prophecy, is to to inspire them to come closer to Christ. And going back to your original point, which is if all of this learning and maybe the focus of what we're talking about is to be able to find that unity as a body of people who are trying to follow the Savior, it really is the Savior that will unify us. Because it's the only thing every single one of us has in common is the Savior, His atonement, grace. That is what will unify us. And so no wonder why Paul wants us to speak of prophecy in church and for that to be our focus because that is our common ground for Absolutely. all of us. Yeah. And, and he goes on to talk about how your testimony is for the benefit of others. So it's great. It is wonderful if we have these individual covenants we make and we have these individual relationships with the Savior. But he's saying we have all these gifts of the Spirit so that we can help the Savior with his mission, which is to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. If we are not turning towards other and sharing our testimony of Christ with them, we are not helping the Savior with his mission, which is to edify other people so that they can have that same testimony. So he gives us our testimony so that we can actually share it and connect with others. And so in the church, sometimes we get conflicts, but we can either turn towards each other in Christ or we can turn away in confusion and division, which sometimes our manual, our Come Follow Me manual, totally nails it with like the intro summaries to the chapters that we're going to discuss and the titles. And I really love the titles this week, which is God is Not the Author of Confusion. That sounds right. I'm pulling it up. <laughs> I've got the... Um, Greek translation of that scripture right in front of me and it's a little bit different it says for God is not a contributor to confusion but the author of peace mm. which I kind of like better because I always like you know it's a negative state and he's not the author of confusion so I guess we fill in the blank that Satan is the author of confusion absolutely but um, God is not even a contributor to confusion but the author of peace and so oftentimes in the church we kind of complicate things when the truth is we can simplify it to the fact that we're either turning towards each other in Christ or we're turning away from each other in confusion and, you know, the things of the world. And so, again, as children of God, we all have a divine nature of God. And by being able to have these relationships with each other, we get to understand more about the nature of God. And so that's a real privilege. Okay, so let's bring it down to, like, a practical level. Like, we're literally at church and our struggles... And the struggles of other people are different. Like we're not, they're not the same. And so how does it literally look to like turn to each other? Like I'm thinking of like the comments that are made in church. Like sometimes when a comment is made in the class or a phrase is used in a talk, that can be very difficult for some people. And so, you know, we, like when we think about what would be upsetting for people, we can't just keep like a list of like 300 things that could be upsetting and like check our list before we speak. So like what can our intention be as we are thinking about something that we can say, like one thing that came to mind, so I'm interested to hear what that brings up for you, because I think it goes back to this spirit of prophecy. Our purpose is to bring people to Christ. Our purpose is for us 
not even that our purpose is to bring people to Christ, but our purpose is to be doing what the Savior needs us to be doing right then, whatever that is. And it may be that we're actively bringing someone to the Savior, like, in a very, like, you can follow it logically that that's exactly what we're doing. And it may be something that doesn't, at first glance, look that way, and yet that's what the Savior needs us to be doing now because he knows that person and what they need. So, like... Is it partly what our intention is when we speak, when we make a comment? Are we making a comment because it was a really good idea and it will make us sound smart and interesting? Or are we making a comment because it brings clarity that will help other people to like understand how God will help us? So I literally think that's what Paul is addressing, the point you just made. Is he saying, if you speak with tongues and you're just speaking to have language that sounds great, that's between you and whatever thought you're having. When you speak with prophecy, you're speaking to connect yourself with another person through Christ. So, yes, the answer to that specific question you said is to speak with prophecy. That's, that is what would be the difference is to speak with prophecy and not with, oh, I'm going to sound cool, and I got the right answer. Right. But to know that Christ wants you to say something in that moment that's helpful. Yeah. The other things that you kind of addressed, I, f I wonder if when we talk about what actually is literally stated right after, God is not a contributor of confusion, but the author of peace would answer some of these questions. So you're talking about a hot topic that may come up in church, and how do you kind of deal with that? I thought it was funny when I was reading this. So I'm reading from um, the Wayment New Testament that recently was released. He's a BYU professor at, who um, took it from the original Greek. That's cool. And it's got all the kind of references to members of the Church of Jesus Christ in it. And, it's, and so it changes some of the language a little bit, but I found it to be really nice, for instance, um, we know that God is not the author of confusion, but this added Greek says that he's not even a contributor. He's the author of peace, and, and that's what the Greek kind of translates into. But when I was reading it, I thought it was kind of funny because the irony is really interesting. Paul um, is talking about God is not the author of confusion, and literally the next uh, scripture is, let the women remain silent in the churches. I thought... Well, that's confusing. Mm -hmm. Specifically because Paul has, has all this great doctrine about Christ and, and the church. And, and it kind is of very incongruent with his teachings. I was going to say, and kind of expansive doctrine. Like as he speaks of the resurrection and the life to come, it's actually some of the more expansive parts of our understanding in the Bible of like the degrees of glory and some of these things that we learn. And so then it feels abrupt that it comes down to this very simple two verse comment about women. Right. So he's not, not talking about sophisticated topics. These are right. deep doctrine. And then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, but the women can't talk at church. So it's very incongruent. It definitely does not, not add confusion. So literally the irony of those being back to back, I thought was funny. And so as I thought about this more and more, I thought, wow, this is really interesting that the whole thing's about speaking with prophecy, and yet we know that that's incongruent, that the woman can't talk at church. We could, we could talk 20 minutes about why that's incongruent. We can quote prophets. 
But there's some really basic doctrine that I think um, becomes muddled sometimes when we talk about gender issues in the church. So if we take it down to basically back to the plan of salvation, Heavenly Father has uh, a plan. And that plan needs the priesthood to be organized. The power of God is organized through the priesthood. And so the plan of salvation has our, the organization of the plan of salvation, our exaltation is through families. Heavenly Father has given us families in which a woman literally has to bring the children into this world so they can receive bodies. And then we have men that have the authority to use the power of God in church and to help organize things. And when you are ordained to the priesthood, the word ordained means a formal order. So literally, the priest, the callings of the priesthood are literally just a formal order for the power of God on earth through callings in the church. And so those are just logistics that make the plan of salvation actually happen. There's nothing about that that says women are less than or women are greater than. It's how Heavenly Father has developed the plan of salvation. And so, of course, we are supposed to contribute to the body of Christ. We all we have callings in which we speak in church. And so this is not supposed to be confusing. What's interesting is that people have experiences that are contrary to the truth. People have experiences that are not uh, what the plan of salvation is about. And then when we come to church, those experiences become triggered by maybe scriptures like this. Even though it's very in, there's very logical explanation for why this scripture's in here. First of all, we're talking about a society 2,000 years ago. And as women, we know that rights of women 2,000 years ago are very different than now. So like the culture in Paul's time was very different than it is now. Yes, and as much as we love these letters from Paul, we don't even know if a couple hundred years after they were written, somebody wanted to write in here something different. We, we like to think that he's written every single sentence the way it's written, but we're not quite sure how it's all translated. In our manual, um, Joseph Smith specifically states that this is not for women to be submissive to men, but that it is for the ruling of the church and the organization of the church. But it's still odd, especially since it's my understanding that these letters are actually written to a woman named Chloe, who is a very strong woman in the church and who probably relayed these things to the members of the church. So that in of itself, there is confusion there. But when a woman's sitting in church and she has had bad experiences where she has been not respected and she hears a scripture like this, it can trigger her feelings. The interesting thing about the dynamics in the church is that um, the priesthood sometimes gets confused as something that makes the men more than because they have the power of the priesthood. But we know that in Doctrine and Covenants section 121, that the second that the priesthood is used for unrighteous dominion, there's no power in it. And so that's the thing that people sometimes get confused about. The organization of the priesthood is only the power of God. And we know the love of Christ is powerful. And so when the priesthood's used for anything more than that, there is no power in it. 
It's very clear doctrine from Doctrine and Covenants section 121. The second you start thinking you're better than somebody else because you have the priesthood, amen to the priesthood. It's gone. And so when people can't see it from this perspective and they see it as something more than that, you know, there's this, there's a power dynamic. And so some women are triggered by that. The interesting thing, though, is there are some men that have had experiences, too, where they unfairly feel like that there's some power differential that they didn't make up. It's just society. It's just culture. And they're triggered, too. And so we get this, sometimes we get these dynamics that people get defensive simply because of a cultural or a social issue that they really haven't even contributed much to. So it like it almost seems like it's coming at it from both ends where you take like a center point, which is that Heavenly Father has created his sons and daughters both to equally benefit from his love, light, power, ability to comprehend and understand his plan and the mysteries of God. And then we plop that truth in this mortal fallen world where we have a limited understanding and I would say like because of our mortal bodies a distorted perspective of pretty much all truth like we like we're just limited in our ability to truly comprehend things as they are and that like two different things come together for that one of which is that the reality is that a lot of women have been in a position where they have been threatened in some way, made to feel less than intentionally. Like that is a true reality that that has been the experience for many, many, many women for generations of time. And then on the flip side, like men have been placed in an elevated position, sometimes because they choose it, but sometimes just because that's what like the culture has said in that time. And so it like creates this division that isn't actually really there, but through all of these, all of these cultures over time, it seems to be a kind of universal pattern that we've seen where all of this is designed to create a separation that actually isn't there. Right. And so what do you do about that? The truth is, um, so it's called, a, well, so there is a one up position and a one down position. So if you're in the one down position, then that means that, you know, you accept it for what it is and being triggered and upset, um, without provocation is something you can manage. It's something that you can say, well, I'm bringing this into a situation and that's not something that you necessarily have to reinforce. Um, or then, even put on other people. Yeah, and then in the one-up position, you need to recognize that being sensitive is important always. <laughs> so it's, it's, it takes the responsibility from both sides. Both need to say, okay, I need to come into a situation without judgment. But when that reaction happens, it's important to be sensitive and it's important to not reinforce the problem with bringing in baggage or anything like that. And, and those are just things that people have to manage. So when we're talking about like being triggered in that situation, 
like I think being aware that that's what's happening that part of what we're feeling is not just because brother so and so just said this in gospel doctrine and now I feel like I am not viewed with respect at church but it may and maybe that was his intention but maybe not and the reality is 99% of the time we don't really know people's intentions all we know is what we see on the surface of people and so when we look at that to really stop and think like what is the story that I'm telling myself about what this comment means and what is behind it and what's the intention behind it and what other experiences have I had that have made me feel that way? Like that's kind of a way to break it down a little bit and see is this legitimately did someone just say something reprehensible, which could happen, or is this really about this accumulation of experiences that I've had that really only had like 5% to do with what was just said? Right, and so both party need, parties need to bring an awareness into situations when they're dealing with relationships and people that they may not even choose to interact with otherwise. So, yeah. And just for clarity, I would like to say, like, I mean, I don't think it needs to be said, but maybe it's worthwhile to say, I don't think that there's anything that the Lord could teach us about his nature or about who we are or our place in his kingdom that he would not willingly tell to both his sons and his daughters that that is, I don't think that he is a respecter of persons in that way, that the limitation seems to apply only directly to the literal organization and administration within the church. Absolutely. And I think that even though we have testimonies of that, sometimes the imperfections of people complicate things. And so when we look at the, gospel of Jesus Christ it's it's a beautiful gospel it brings me strength daily and yet being a member of the body of Christ is also essential to it and that's when it becomes hard that's when we talk about if we could just see things if we were just individuals that could progress on our own without having to interact with other people without having to edify other people or strengthen other people it'd be very easy to say that oh my behaviors are always you know, aligned and unified with the Savior. But part of it is we have to learn to interact with each other and learn from from those situations where people are coming from a different perspective. And to learn to respond somehow to step outside of our initial response to feel offense and be open that there's more to it than that, that there's more that we can learn from that moment than just that we feel threatened by whatever was just said yeah and I think this all connects to kind of the essential doctrine that is here in four, chapters 14 through 16 which is the resurrection um, it goes back to again the plan of salvation if we were to come to earth to receive bodies the bodies are a big deal and it's not something that we necessarily dwell on a lot in our doctrine we don't sit through classes at church and talk about we talk about the importance of coming here to get the body, but we don't talk about how to manage the natural man that we have now put our spirits into. And so everything we've kind of discussed today, you know, on a spiritual level, we can sit back and we can go, oh yeah, I get this and I'm aware of it and everybody's a child of God and that's wonderful. But then when our physical bodies become an element too, that's where we get those defensive triggers. 
And that is essential to the plan of salvation is learning how to manage those things. Because, you know, without our bodies, we cannot be exalted. We cannot become like our Heavenly Father. And, and learning to have those spirits magnified in a body is kind of the goal of our earthly experiences. So I was thinking about that when we talk about the resurrection and, and the culture of Corinth. There's a lot of uh, Greek religion at this time that's really talking about how spirits are superior to, the, to, to our bodies. They, um, you know, Plato talks a lot about, you know, being guided by just your thoughts and your spirit. There wasn't the sense of conjoining the two. And I think oftentimes, sometimes with our religion, whether or not we're aware of it, sometimes we do go, ooh, the natural man's so gross. My body is just a burden. If my spirit is so strong, I'm just going to ignore my experience in this body. The truth is, being able to become unified both in body and spirit and overcoming the natural man and magnifying our spirits through our bodies is much more powerful than ignoring those reactions um, and just um, focusing on the spiritual. Well, and by so doing, it refines our spirit too. It, it is because the refining it, process. Be, because it takes a tremendous amount of faith and reliance on grace in order to be able to not only have this spiritual desire but to actually like embrace fully like this sounds weird but to fully embody our own bodies and to like accept that this is part of who I am and I want to help my physical body to also be in alignment with my savior not just my spirit and to like pull that together there like we're I think it would be very challenging for us to be fully connected to the Savior and to be fully in alignment with God and maybe to fully be able to prophesy without having that unity within our own selves. That if we're separated within ourselves because we're rejecting on some level our body, in some ways are we not then rejecting God's plan for us, which is to be, I mean, to have body throughout the rest of eternity once we're resurrected so and this is really interesting to me because if we're sitting in church and somebody does say something where we get kind of a physical reaction and we're frustrated and we haven't thought about why it's the way it is it's interesting that we go to church and we're forced to interact with people that bring diversity into our lives whether or not we want it if i wasn't a member of the church i could associate with people that were generally well aligned with my thought process often and yet as the body of Christ we interact we have callings we serve people that we may not get along with as easier as easy so if if I'm sitting at you know in a calling and service in a class with somebody that I feel a physical reaction to that may not um, make me feel comfortable the opportunity to examine why I react that way has I, I feel like that has a refining process. And the Savior yeah. gives us the opportunity to turn to him and say, I want to love my fellow members of the church. I want to be closer to this person. Help me be more refined so that I can know 
what I need to do to change in order to make that happen. Because the step in there, when we feel frustrated or irritated or put off by somebody that is making a comment or that we overhear them talking to somebody else or whatever this whatever drama whatever the situation is that we're walking past in the hallway or whatever part of the reason why it's refining isn't just because God said it is like part of the reason why it's refining is because then we have the opportunity to stop not literally in the hall but at some point to be able to within ourselves stop and say wow I felt really put off by that. What's what's going on there? Like, what part of that made me feel put off? And really, like, pondering and having some mindfulness about, like, just sitting in that feeling for a minute when, I mean, if you're running to teach primary, you can't do that. But at, at some point, you will find that you could take the time, if you chose, and say, what is... What what am I actually feeling? Is it just that, or was there more to that? Is there some fear there? Is there what else is there, and what experiences may have taught me that? And to like the more that we understand that, then we are in some ways bringing the light of Christ to those struggles, those weaknesses, those fears, so that when they come up the next time, it's much quicker for us to recognize it may not be a hundred percent about the conversation we walk past at the hall. There might be more to it. Yeah, and additionally, if we stop and we ponder and we pray and we ask for Christ's grace, which is also part of this, I think that that will be revealed to us faster. And I think that that's all mm. part of the, the refining process. And, and I think this is an important principle to talk about because I often feel like we have so much doctrine. We have so much understanding. We have so much truth that there's a part of us that wants to learn it all as members of the church um, and think that that our bodies are something to be more despised and transcend. And if we just learned enough and we're enlightened enough, you know, those things will go away. But that's not what it, I think it's so that we become more transformed and more sanctified and more refined. We can only do that by being aware of our physical bodies in the moment. And so well, and we have, uh, uh, I was just going to say, we have so much doctrine in the church that people really get frustrated sometimes that we actually are part of a body of Christ that involves other people. But I think that's what keeps us grounded in our physicality, which is so important to the plan of salvation. True, because without that, we wouldn't have these things come up within right. us that tell us where we need check. to go. And I think it's really an appealing doctrine or... A, it's not a doctrine. It's an appealing perspective for people to think, you know, my body is just this mortal weakness and so I'm just going to kind of push it down as much as I can and transcend it because it's uncomfortable to sit in our bodies when we are confronted with these things and we'd rather not do it. Right, and there's this idea, if I pray hard enough, Heavenly Father will take this physical anxiety, this physical reaction, this physical discomfort away from me when really it's our responsibility to recognize that our bodies are essential and they're telling us something. So if that's your reaction, then you can learn something from it. Don't go take this away from me. Say, help me understand this and help me refine through my physical reaction that is giving me understanding. Because we all came to earth with understanding. 
We all, in fact, our scriptures talk often about how we're just reminded of information we already have from our premortal existence. So our spirits are pretty great, but we came to this earth to learn from our bodies because I don't understand it all, but we know that when Jesus Christ was resurrected and he got that body, when he says it in the New Testament, he was not yet perfected. When he was resurrected and got his body in the in third Nephi, that's when he said he was perfected. That's when he was like Heavenly Father. There's something so important to our spirits being magnified by our bodies. We can't escape that. And until we understand how to magnify who we are through our bodies, we haven't come to earth to be tested and we haven't figured out what we're doing with our bodies yet. So these, this body is essential to understanding it. And fundamentally, there are things that we can learn from what our body is telling us that we can learn in no other way. Right. There, there are things that we are being... Somehow, fundamentally, there's something about this experience on earth that we can only learn in this way. That's the only reason why the Lord would ask us to walk through the difficulty that it is to be here is because he knows that there are things that we can experience and learn that we literally could not any other way. And I believe that a big part of that is because of what we learn from our bodies and by being within our bodies. And when we said that we rejoiced for the opportunity to have bodies, I think we understood that a little bit more. I think having a body is a great gift. And, and as I recall, a spirit, but people in spirit prisons, spirits feel the prison part of it is the absence of the body. They, there is that knowledge that without the body, we don't experience things the same. And so going back to what um, we're talking about is, is Paul. And he's saying, let everything you do be done in love. And, and being a member of the body of Christ, as we've actually talked about our physical bodies, may give us even more insight into what it means to be part of the body of Christ. Um, that we can help each other heal. And as we help each other heal, we can find strength from Christ. So everything we just discussed, if we put it on a bigger picture of, okay, if that's our individual experience, then how is it that as a body of Christ, Christ feels when we're hurting? when we're divisive, when we're not turning towards each other, when we're not helping each other heal. So if you can see it in that picture, then our desire at church can be increased, that we can try to be more unified. We can try to be as one. If we do feel that splintering, if we do feel that division, then having the desire to rectify it, having the desire to turn towards each other, having the desire to investigate why we're reacting the way we are, that can be a motivation because if we if we're striving to love Christ then I know it makes Christ happy when we're more unified as members of his body and as children of God and I so and like yes to all of that like I'm nodding and you can't hear me but I'm nodding mm. like I, I I love that the other thing that stood out to me earlier which I think is really relevant here is that when I look at my own experience at church and how when I go to church now my response is getting closer to that um, end of the spectrum where I'm looking for what is the savior trying need need me to know today 
what does the Savior need me to do today? Is there anybody here that I need to reach out to? Like that mentality has been less because I have sort of made it a goal that I'm going to look for people who need me. Because I've done that before, and that works for a time, but it also kind of works a little bit more like, who do I like talking to that might need me? When it's like goal-oriented in that way, where for me, like the more that I like maybe bringing it back to the beginning of what we talked about, which is the spirit of prophecy, like the more that I bring my knowledge and understanding and love and the grace of the Savior into my life, the more that's what's interesting to me and that's what I have a desire for. I don't have to remind myself that I want to do that. It's actually what I want to do. And so... I feel like that's such a beautiful thing because that the Savior and His grace and His light, as we seek for our own experiences with that and our own, like I think that it can address so many of these things, like maybe our feelings about being the one down as a woman in the church. I'll be honest, I don't struggle with that very much now because I've had so many powerful experiences with the Spirit that there's no way that I can say that the Lord does not give me, that that I don't have power, that I don't have access to his light and his knowledge and his understanding. I know I do. And so it doesn't bother me. It's not an issue because I know that I have access to the power of God. And, and we want all women to know that. Exactly. Because I don't know... I, I feel the same way. I do remember as a youth, that doesn't mean that I wasn't confused by some of the examples or patterns I saw. Totally. And I think everybody comes from that perspective. And if you're not a woman that understands that, I want you to understand that we have access to all that power. Right. It doesn't mean there's not a precedence for why it could be confusing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But I mean, like, as, like, like, I'm just trying to think of me personally, like, what has brought me to the point where I can acknowledge that that is a struggle and that I can even say there are times when I do feel rubbed the wrong way by something but by and large I don't struggle with the concept that as a woman I have access to God's power and that's mostly because I've literally put myself in a position time and time again to I guess out of need many times but that I have taken my time of extreme need and sought God's power in my life and that by doing that, that not only helps us to be able to prophesy, it helps us to have that connection with feeling strength in our place as a woman within God's church and within his eternal family, but also with our physical bodies, you know, as we understand that we have access to having light, just light and understanding from the Lord to understand what is, why am I feeling this way? What's going on in my body? Like even that part of it, that light and power from God can help us. And then as you're bringing it full circle to like, how do we then bring that to the body of Christ? Well, as we have that light and that, um, understanding in our life, we will, I find I interact with people at church differently. Because yes, of that. And I think as women, it's important for us to have conversations like this and state these things to empower each other um, because that will change maybe some of a perception that maybe some other women haven't yet 
discovered in the way that you talked about. And so it's important. And that in of itself, I think, is prophesying. And so women, I encourage you to prophesy at church because anytime you talk about that light and power from Christ, I, I guarantee that's that's what Paul is suggesting when he talks about prophesying. And so even though we're late to the game with this come follow me thing, I am grateful for this letter that I I believe that Chloe instigated with Paul that addresses the body of Christ, that addresses how to be unified as members of the church, that addresses that we all have spiritual gifts, and if we share them with each other, we will learn more about the nature of God, we'll learn more about ourselves, and we'll learn to be more unified. And so I think this was a great place to start. Amen. So let's do it again I next like week, yeah? I like okay. it. Yeah. All right. How long was that? Because I think if it's longer than 40 minutes, nobody has.